Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is supported in part by Australian Ethical. Good evening, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be in Melbourne. It's stupid old studios. So beautiful. I'm uh, really impressed with the stupid old studios. Obviously, they, they do so much great work. And uh, I I know we both donated to their crowdfunding a little while <laughs> That's ago. That's right. We it's both did see. donate. I forgot yeah. about that. I wanted, so, uh, why am I paying for this booking? <laughs> that, that microphone you're using, that's the Hover and Illich microphone. <laughs> Memorial mic. Yeah, I actually met someone off the telly today and it was, I was a bit taken aback. I'm like, oh, a famous person. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, at the studios. Yeah, yeah, the people that come through I thought you were just studios. excited in general for having met someone from television. <laughs> you like bumped into the cash cow on the street and you were like, oh. Speaking of cash, big thank you to Australian Ethical for helping helping out the podcast for another few weeks. And big thank you to Andrew Carr and Chad Thompson, who signed up on the Patreon. Uh, you'd not only get an ad-free feed, you get access to the Discord uh, and you can you know, write jokes for the show if you want there. That's good. You get early access to the big one-on-one interviews we have. You also get access to early works in progress of sketches, video sketches, and rare recordings of live shows that are too defamatory to put out in public. <laughs> I love that your Patreon model is a lot like Elon Musk's plan to charge people for their blue check. It's like, hey, if you give us money... You can also write for us. <laughs> and we're going to be speaking a lot about Elon Musk in just a second. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair and Section 40. Irrational Fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, lions escape from a Sydney zoo but return to their cages when they realise the city's nightlife is dead. And after Tourism Victoria stepped up to sponsor the national netball team, Gina Reinhart insists on trying out for a position called Own Goal Attack. And Dominic Perrottet has hired Scott Morrison's election strategist, hoping he'll curry favour with the people of New South Wales. It's the 4th of November and we're just days away from the final episode of the USA. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Like your set. 
Welcome to Irrational Fear. I'm your host, former head of security at Tronger Zoo, Dan Illich, and this is the podcast that takes the scariest news and shoots it with a tranquilizer gun. Let's meet our fearmongers for tonight. They are the executive producer of the number one news podcast in Australia that doesn't do jokes. They are the. They are also the former housemate of Lewis Hobber, Scott Mitchell. Thank you so much, Dan. Oh, Scott, what is the one thing you know about Lewis Hobber that nobody else knows? Oh my God, so many things. I don't feel like we. Should, I don't think we need to do this. I don't think we need to do this. <laughs> There's so many, Dan. But also, I know. Scott would be very afraid of reprisals. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm more afraid than Lewis is right now. So. <laughs> and they are the culture editor for Nine and host of the Drop Podcast and current flatmate of Scott Mitchell, Osman Faruqi. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Well, Oz, what is one thing about Scott Mitchell that nobody else knows well, that see, only you I'm know? I'm not terrified of reprisals because I'm perfect <laughs> as a housemate. There's nothing I could ever <laughs> say pretty good. to me. No, I mean, there's nothing. The only, the only things like I say about Scott are lovely things. He's a wonderful housemate and a wonderful oh, cook. God, this is such boring delight. radio. Like, for the, for the <laughs> Can we do this for the next yeah. hour? Can we talk about living with me? Is that the theme of the show? Where's Carl Sanderlands? We need him here. Uh, and he's already dusting off his Logie suit after his one episode of television aired last week. It's former flatmate of Scott Mitchell, Lewis Hubbard. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dan. It, it's true. Um, the, uh, the Logies are calling. The actors are calling. I assume the International Emmys are calling. I'm preparing several suits. <laughs> <laughs> Any lawsuits, Lewis? Um, none yet. I mean, once people get into the Patreon, though, I'm sure they'll be able to find some stuff in the old Irrational Fear episodes. Coming up later, Australia is returning to the Climate Talks table as a fully-fledged adult. We're going to be talking with Lindo to see if the world will have us back. But first, here is a message from this week's sponsor. Oh, no, generic tradie. What's that, bloke, man? Sportsbet and Bet365 are being audited by Oztrack. Oh, what are the odds of that? Oh, pretty good according to Oztrack Bet. The Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre is bringing financial auditing to the palm of your hand. Stream every raid live. Trace every transaction. Be dockside for every judicial ruling. And you and your mates can bet together with a sane investigation multi. Oh, I'll put a pineapple on aiding and abetting money laundering. Yeah, and I'll put a Dame Nelly Melba on funding terrorism. A lobster on them getting off scot-free? Nah, better make it a ton. Oztrack bet. Put good punts on bad cuts. <laughs> I should mention gamble responsibly there. Gamble <laughs> responsibly. This week's first fear, move over Melbourne. There was only one animal-based news story that stopped the nation for a short period. On Wednesday, all eyes were on Taronga Zoo as the lions had escaped, presumably because, like all of us, uh, they'd had a jack of, of lockdown. Um, but they went back to their cages shortly after they after they, when they realised they all forgot their masks. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> Taronga Zoo found out that they had basically a, a, what they called an integrity issue with the containment fence. Oz, uh, what was the integrity issue Did, with the fence? Absolutely my favourite part of this story was when Taronga Zoo was asked to explain at a press conference why they uh, had let the lions out. And I think it's an example of how everyone, even zookeepers, are so 
media trained and terrified of saying a single thing wrong. When they're asked, what what happened here? They said, there was an integrity issue with the fence, <laughs> implying that there may be some sort of ICAC-style investigation into what happened. I think there's like a rule in New South Wales that yeah. every press conference has to mention an integrity issue and has to get there eventually. Eventually when they were pressed, it was basically like there was a hole in the fence. Yeah. Why not the, just say that the, the, at the start? No, no. Oh, I like the, like, putting it like that, it's like there were like nefarious monkeys that were like running, yeah, yeah, yeah. running security sort of being done. and they're like, so this is the, the lions gave them a banana, they opened up the fence, they yeah, okay, you can come through, uh, that's how it works, yeah. The- the other bit of this story that I think was really – the media did, I think, on one hand, an excellent job of covering this because even here in Melbourne, the ABC was just – and, in fact, all the channels were just broadcasting basically live helicopter footage of, <laughs> of Mossman for like four to five hours. And it was a great day in Sydney and Sydney looked absolutely gorgeous. But there were so many fascinating parts of this story. So I did not know that Taronga Zoo has what they call a raw and snore program mm. where families can sleep over at the zoo. Yeah, because at the time there were like twenty kids doing this program, doing this exact program, right next to the lions, right next to the lions, and, and one of the one of the dads says they were woken up, and the zookeepers were just yelling "Code one, code one," <laughs> and the dad's like, "I don't know what that means." Yeah, who knows? I mean, obviously, obviously, you don't know what it means, but for any of us who grew up in Africa, we do know. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's that old saying: "Code three, fun with you and me." Code two, safety first at the zoo. Code one, lion run. <laughs> we grew up with that. We yeah. grew up with. That. I didn't grow up in Africa. Well, and then I, as soon as I saw this story, I was like, oh, this is very reminiscent of Jurassic Park. Right. But I love that one of the dads involved in this situation said literally, when I was huddled in this cabin after we were escorted out of our tents, all I could think about was this is just like being in Jurassic Park. <laughs> so even me, me as an outsider was like making pop culture references. This dad terrified that his kids were going to get eaten by lions was just like, I'm basically Sam Neill right now. <laughs> <laughs> and does that mean in like 10 years there'll be a, uh, a, a new outbreak but the lions will be like, genetically bred to be smarter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I always thought it was a shame that it was like male lions that escaped because if it was lionesses, at least the zookeeper could say, clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, um, the, The other thing that the zookeeper said at this press conference that I found absolutely hilarious, he just, he wanted to reiterate that. I just want everyone to be reassured that at no point did the lions leave Taronga Zoo? And it's like, yeah, bro, then there would be lions loose in the city. Like, that would be a whole other saga. Lions parading up and down Mossman streets, that would be like an improvement. Uh, there's so many concrete lions already in Mossman. That's a weird thing about Sydney, and I guess the British kind of legacy. The Brits loved building statues of lions. Everywhere, yeah. They don't, they don't have any. Yeah, the insignia yeah. of New South Wales has lions has a on lion. it. Yeah, what, yeah. what is the deal? The UK that? did have lions at one point, right? That, like, that wasn't out of nowhere. Lewis, really? Lewis, the UK never had lions. What are you talking about? <laughs> they had they what were do you think native lions. Them? You thought they were they native lions? Have, they must have brought some lions in, right? They must have had some lions roll. Like we have the we, like the way we have panthers, you know? They're out there. <laughs> the Lithgow lion. We have panthers? <laughs> in in, in Penrith. Penrith panthers, yeah, of course. I really enjoyed the zookeeper saying, everyone relax. Within 10 minutes, we put out the emergency beacons. I'm like, 10 minutes? I'm, a, <laughs> I'm not an apex predator, but I think it would take less than 10 minutes to rip open a school child. That's what, that's what I think. Well, I want to know at what point they called the police because they did call the police. And that I also find hilarious. I, I get on one hand, if something had gone wrong, terribly wrong here, and there was an investigation and they said, why didn't you call the police? They could have saved this. Maybe the zoo could have gotten into trouble. But at the same time, what? What are the police going to do in yeah. this situation? Yeah. Right? They'll- well, it depends on how you spin it. Like if you call them and say lions are coming, they probably wouldn't do much. But you say uh, there's African gangs around Mossman. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> People have escaped their cage. Please yeah. come. Yeah. 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 And as if 
the, you know, there, at least one officer who was called to site was going, I'm going to get to shoot a lion today. <laughs> you know it. They were drawing straws down at the station. Who gets to take this call? I also love the, like, obviously you were talking about the Melbourne Cup. You know, you love to hear, so, whatever, Bruce McAvaney or, or, you know, commentating the Cup. But you want to hear, anytime there's an animal outbreak, you want David Attenborough on the scene. Like, you want to go, <laughs> we're crossing right now to Attenborough in Mossman. him just going kind of, the lions are escaping Toronto. <laughs> they are going to a local campus. <laughs> Do you know who we got instead of David Attenborough was an hour of Carl Stefanovic vamping on the Today Show. Oh. It's quite extraordinary. I encourage anyone to oh. watch that. An hour of Carl just talking about how incredible it is. No, that, that sounds that sounds like daytime TV. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be up for that. New York Post put it on Twitter and the responses were quite rational. Uh, uh, Slayer Freak said, did the Lions have COVID? And Ryan Finnegan said, government overreach. <laughs> really enjoyed that. <laughs> when the Herald Sun posted on Twitter... Top the top six responses were a variation of the same theme, which was basically somehow this is Dan Andrews's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that is a hometown paper, well attuned to their audience. Now that it's happened at Taronga Zoo, I don't think that the snore and raw program will be selling out that quickly. <laughs> I feel like they need, they're going to need, if they want to keep selling those tickets, they're going to need a pretty heavy rebrand. They just need a rebrand, like, raw and gore. To, that's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you pitch it just to like thrill seekers as nap and attack, <laughs> make a bit of cash. Irrational fear. The raw and snore camping experience, more raw than snore. For me, it was quite scary because a lion roaming around the zoo is like not my thing. Irrational fear. This week's second fear. Walking meme, Elon Musk paid $45 billion for a social media site that tech journalists have been saying for 10 years is dead. Yes, upon taking the keys to the site, primarily used for correcting people's apostrophe use, Elon Musk tweeted, well, you get what you pay for. And, uh, well, pretty amazing. Immediately after completing the acquisition, Musk fired four of the top executives who were all hoping to be let go because they had incredible contracts with huge exit packages, upwards of $50 million if they were let go without cause. Musk fired them because, quote, for cause. Oh, wow. Uh, this means he could avoid paying $122 million in severance packages. It feels like trolling. Of course it is because these guys would just go to court. Yeah, when you spent $66 billion <laughs> buying it, you want to you make some $100 million savings at that stage. In a move that has outraged everyone uh, who has their ego uh, attached to their Twitter verification, like me, uh, he now wants to charge verified people a fee to be verified. Initially it was going to be $20, but Stephen King complained and then Musk suggested eight to Stephen <laughs> King, which I thought was fantastic. Likewise, similar reaction on Twitter to this. Uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, LMAO, the billionaire earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that free speech is actually $8 a month subscription plan. Elon Musk replied to her saying, your feedback is appreciated. Now pay $8. <laughs> oh, my God. This is funny. This is kind of funny. Like Elon Musk is like now the landlord who can see what everyone's doing inside their houses. Before, a- before we get too much into this, can I ask each of you? Yeah. Are you guys paying the $8 a month for the blue tick? I'm a Twitter blue member. You, I pay you are currently. You are currently. I'm currently, yeah. I, when they started doing it, I was like, yeah, I'm going to pay because I need to undo my tweets. I need to fix my tweets uh-huh. up. I was really keen on, you know, the ad-free subscription articles that they're going to offer. But this is apparently potentially going to go live as soon as Monday. And Dan Illich, will you be paying $8? Well, it depends how many Patreon members we get this week. So, <laughs> um, you know, jump on. <laughs> I've never been happier to barely use Twitter. I, I, like, uh, it's such a sweet thing yeah, to me. Yeah, Lewis, you're out. Who... You're, you're done with Twitter. 
I got out of Twitter about the same time I tapped out of watching Marvel movies, <laughs> and they're both the best decisions I ever made. <laughs> you guys are fucking idiots. You're wasting your lives. And I'll hover over here. The king of getting the fuck out at the right time. Scott Mitchell, what do you think about this? Well, I I just it makes me wistful and and want to reminisce about the the wonderful times about a month ago that Jack <laughs> was the CEO and and major owner of Twitter. And what I loved about Jack was just how absent-minded he was and and not really involved in anything. I mean, to the degree... Quite often he was off in a yoga retreat in the middle of Thailand. Well, Myanmar, he was so absent-minded. He went to Myanmar for a <laughs> yoga retreat and didn't even realise there was a genocide going on in the country. That's the level of absence and not holding the wheel that I, I want. And I think... You, the, you know, I think the way to... Well, we, we all know the reason why that was, because that genocide was sponsored by Facebook. So uh, <laughs> I, That reminds me of, do you remember the, one of the great untold and forgotten stories of the pandemic was when Jared Leto was on a silence retreat for a month and he came back and he had missed the first month of the what? pandemic. And he and because no one had been able to talk <laughs> about it. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. I mean, it's interesting that at the beginning of this, Dan, you mentioned landlords because I think that's sort of how we have to think of our social media billionaires is is as landlords. And that means that, like, they are all terrible. But what I want in a landlord is an absent-minded landlord. Where, like, like Jack, you're like, you know, hey, man, you know, like the sink doesn't work. There's lots of Nazis in the house. Can you, can you do something about this? And it takes them like too long to do anything. Yeah. It takes them way too long and they don't really do it. But eventually you bug them and they send a bloke around and they kind of fix the sink and yeah. kind of reduce the Nazis. Whereas the thing you want least is a very interested landlord who's really, really invested and is like, can we break the sink more? Can we let more Nazis in? How do we funnel more in and charge them more money? That's not what you want. So He also, so in terms of him being absent-minded, I, I think when the, the the big controversy around whether Trump should be banned from yeah. Twitter, when that sort of story was was written up, Jack at the point at this point was was on like Bora Bora. He was on some island in the middle of nowhere and not really responding to his messages. Perfect, incredible. Perfect. Absentee. That's how you want your social media absentee. Content. If we're going to have a landlord, absentee. I feel like he hardly tweeted as well. Like he wasn't no, very yeah, totally. on Twitter, which was kind of cool. Which is the only way to deal with Twitter, not tweet. Never tweet. Jack mm. took it. Took the uh, the great advice of Twitter to heart. Musk has already seconded people from Tesla and SpaceX to come and work on Twitter. 54 software engineers from those two companies. It's kind of weird that the brightest minds in technology which have been working on how to make <laughs> Mars habitable and now trying to figure out an $8 paywall <laughs> so you can identify someone who's bullying you. Isn't that, isn't that just like mind-blowing? What, what is the Twitter code? Everyone's talking about we need these software engineers from Tesla to look at it. It's a website where you post something and people read it. Like, what, what else is going on there? I don't understand. Yeah, the we don't need like. self-driving Twitter. That would, that would ruin humanity. This is... A rational fear. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. It's really important that people have the perception that they are able to speak freely. This is a rational fear. This week's third fear, B-52 bombers. For fans of thermonuclear war, this week is super exciting. A squadron of six B-52s are coming to Darwin. Yes, Australia is clearing the decks to make space for the huge 60-year-old aircraft, which every news outlet has been careful to say is nuclear capable, but isn't 
really every aircraft nuclear capable. You know, if you've got a small <laughs> enough bomb, I'm pretty sure my 2000 Corolla is nuclear capable. Like, If you get five friends together, you're like, hey, the six of us are nuclear capable. We could probably carry this thing. Yeah, I'm sure the cast of Ninja Warrior are nuclear capable. This podcast right now is probably nuclear, nuclear capable. capable. <laughs> Fearmongers, um, uh, pretend you're G for a second. Um, which Australian targets would you take out first? I guess where the, B50, where the B-52s Chirongazoo. are. Like, We're telling everyone where we're putting the most dangerous planes Australia has, right? Isn't that your think, number one target? I think the most dangerous planes Australia has are at Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> I asked this question to Twitter and someone immediately came back and said, I think the most strategic target would be a Bunnings. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> a great way to lose the hearts and minds of Australians. <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of interesting. Do you think the Commonwealth was trying to think of a way to get rid of Darwin? They're like, oh, yeah, you know what, just, uh, <laughs> just put the bombers in Darwin. Yeah. I had to look up whether these B-52s are the same B-52s that you mentioned that they're 60 years old. Yeah. Like this is what was in Dr. Strangelove. These yeah. are very old planes. Yeah. I th- I, my suspicion is that the US needs a way to get rid of these and Australian <laughs> like kind of military establishment are dumb enough to be like, B-52s, this is incredible. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, we'll take them, we'll take them. The United States government is looking for Australia to help with their insurance yeah. claims. <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon Australia has a choice in this? Do, do you reckon we as a nation can actually push back and say, nah? Yeah, and I think the thing that is sort of been underreported, I think, is like that this is actually the product of like 10 years of Australia making that choice. Like we want um, American capabilities here for all kinds of reasons and it's a slow buildup of allowing, you know, this infrastructure to be built to host bigger and bigger you know, capabilities, and this is the result of that. It's a totally weird bipartisan um, wank fest as totally. well. Like when this when this news dropped, Peter Dutton was first to jump on the news and say, so funny. Oh, this is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> of course, yeah, I've been trying to say this forever. Oh, we need, we need the guns. And I was the first one to want B-52s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine what you would have to pay also in this news week for Peter Dutton to endorse government? See, like, he, he's so on the attack all week and then he just came out so red hot for this. He saw his percentage points go up three points, yeah. I just, I can't stop thinking about um, just the B-52s and I know that's a really dumb... That, oh, surprise, the surprise, the Triple J DJ can't stop thinking about the B-52s. Fun fact about the B-52s, Lewis, is that they're not in fact named after the bombers. They are named after the B-52 beehive hairstyle that was itself named after the bombers because of the way that the nose of the B-52 plane looked like a beehive. The B-52s, when they first came out on stage, would wear wigs reminiscent of the popular 60s haircut. Wow. Were those wigs nuclear capable? (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, we'll be talking about COP27 and if Australia is doing enough, spoiler alert, no. (laughs) This is a rational fear. A rational fear. Lewis, imagine if the $3.3 trillion invested in super in Australia was put to doing good. I reckon we'd be in a pretty good place, don't you? I already think it's doing great work, Dan. I love the fact that we're investing in tobacco, international (laughs) arms deals, uh, local coal trade. I couldn't be prouder of the Australian superannuation industry. Well, thankfully, we actually are sponsored by a good investment fund, Australian Ethical. They don't touch any of that bad stuff. They say, fuck off to fossil fuels, gambling, tobacco, all that bad stuff. And they only invest in low-carbon businesses and renewable energy, IT, healthcare, education, and um, and middling podcasts, it would seem. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Uh, But you know what, Dan? They're getting it on the ground floor. We could be the next Uber. 
<laughs> they are a certified B Corp and winner of Money Magazine's Best of the Best for 2022. So big thank you, Australian Ethical, for supporting one of, if not the most ethical podcast in Australia. Wow. <laughs> I, I did not put my name to that. And we're back. Well, what a difference a year makes. Last year at COP26, Scott Morrison had to be bullied by billboards in New York City to even consider making an appearance to utter the phrase, we'll meet and beat our targets in a canter to an empty room. But cut to this year, it's a whole different story. Next week uh, at the UN Climate Talks, Australia returns as a good faith actor after about a 15-year departure. Joining us now to talk through how Australia will be received at COP is friend of the show, co-host of the Greatest Moral Podcast of our generation and Deputy Chair of Climate Action Network Australia. Lindo, welcome back to Rational Fear. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Where have you been? Long, long time. You know, got COVID and then basically got knocked out for all of the year. That's it. Well, some lions share a very similar story to you. (laughs) Yeah. So Australia is returning to the climate talks Year. How do you reckon Australia will be received at the COP twenty at COP twenty seven? So, you know, one of the things about being stuck in Melbourne during COVID was you sort of forgot what Australians are actually like overseas. And we have this idea that everyone loves us and we're the best. And like, you know, everyone wants to invite us to the party. But um, I did get to go to Europe this year during their summer, our winter. Turns out people aren't really ready to have us back in Europe. Turns out people have not missed us, and I don't think people have missed us at the UN. Do you mean, like, in in general, in in the world? Yeah, in general, in general. Like, I think, you know, we just have this image of ourselves that, like, we're all really great, and now that we've changed our government, people are ready to welcome us back, and I think that's what the Australian government is really going to this COP with, thinking that, well, we're better than the last guys who were in this job, so everyone will want us back, right, right? Only so far, I think we should somewhat expect like crickets in terms of the welcome back. I heard the latest episode of Outrage and Optimism and incredible podcast about climate change and Christiana Figueres was kind of celebrating on one hand but also wanting us to do more on the other. But it was it's interesting to, to think that, the, that the, the climate community in the world kind of is remotely excited about us kind of coming back as good faith actors. I think it's better to have us back than not back at all. But I think if, if if the world sort of has been using this sort of like carrot and stick approach to Australia, you know, trying to dangle, hey, if you come back and you do good, we'll like reward you for it. But that just didn't work for a decade. And I think as a result, people are really ready to say, hey, Australia, we get that you're back and we get that you've announced some things as part of your election, but when is the proof going to come in? Why do you still export fossil fuels? Why are you still exploring new gas projects? Like there's just not a lot that's adding up. So what about um, what we're going to take to COP this year? Like what what are the things that haven't really been announced? We have a 43% target, which is pretty, you know. But that is what we're taking to COP, right? That unfortunately I think. Is there anything else though? Is there like like a Steve Jobs, oh, and one last thing kind of, is there like a, is Chris Bowen going to have like something fun in an envelope he's going to pull out? Well, hopefully they're listening to this podcast right now and they're going to take a huge commitment to rejoin the Green Climate Fund. Uh, so a couple of years back, just for listeners who aren't aware of all of the intricacies of the UN. Oh, of course. This is like we got we we just opted out of the Green Climate Fund. Totally. We just opted out. So this was basically, you know, as part of the Paris Climate Change Agreement 2015. Here's a short history lesson for everyone. All of the governments of the world committed to um, $100 US billion. That's that's how much we want to be contributing into, you know, fighting climate change, helping developing countries sort of um, transition, technology transfer, all of those sorts of buzzwords. But one, we haven't quite gotten there yet. And two, you then have a 
governments like Australia just saying, hey, we don't want to be part of this anymore. Sorry, bye. And we still haven't rejoined yet. So I think if we want to be seriously welcome back and for people to take us, you know, in a way that is like genuine and like with good faith, not only do we need to rejoin, we need to be contributing some bigger dollars. Oh, excellent. Like, like how much? <laughs> Maybe the full $100 billion. I feel like the budget just came out. I'm sure we've got some wiggle room. But it, it, it needs to be something that's really proportionate to the fact that Australia is one of the biggest fossil fuel exporters in the world. Our sort of per capita um, emissions is like enormous. And it's not even sometimes mathematically feasible to think what we're emitting is just like your everyday Australians compared to someone from Fiji. So we need to be doing what's equitable. Speaking of Pacific Islands, Australia is making noise that we want to host our own COP in 2024, which is, you know, I think it's exciting. Uh, But that we want to do it with um, the Pacific Island nations. What do you reckon? Are they going to welcome us back? Are they going to to want to run this COP with us? Are they going to want to run this COP with us or run it with the government of China, right? Like I think at the (laughs) moment our Pacific Islander (laughs) neighbours and family and whatever else. Are you trying to say that Xi's going to start his own COP and and the Pacific Islands are going to go and... War. I think like everyone recognises that there's a whole bunch of countries that you want to get on side with whatever your sort of climate messaging and framing is. And whether it's going to be us first, China or like the US, we just need to be doing a lot more than sort of this um, show and tell thing where we're not really demonstrating anything new. Yes. And, and so far, as you say, like Penny Wong um, did a big tour of the Pacific and put like, tried to sort of say, I think reset the relationship after the coalition and go, we... Um, put climate front and centre because we know that you all care about climate. But there's been, so far at least, very little in practical terms to, to prove to those leaders in the Pacific that, that this government really is going to be a part of that bidding war, as you say. Exactly. And I think it's really great when, you know, the climate school strikers and people from like the activism movement say that they care because they also aren't responsible for billions of dollars in like sort of taxpayers' money that could be redirected into some of these efforts. So I think until Pacific countries actually start to see like hard results, not tied into like all of our geopolitical interests, why would they turn up to the table as well? What about like sending Bowen as opposed to Albo? Is that a good or bad decision? It's interesting because I think the world would actually welcome Elbow in a way that, you know, Scott Morrison was, it was just much more about like pressure than anything else. But in some ways, hopefully that means that Chris Bowen's going to be ready to talk about the nitty gritty and like get into the details rather than just have like big grand sort of fanfare. Is it is it a bit weird though? Because like Rishi Sunak is going, there was pressure when he said he wasn't the Prime Minister of the UK. Joe Biden is going. And if this really is Australia saying, hey, we're back, baby, but we're sending this weird guy that you've never heard of before <laughs> if you're not following Australian politics. Are we Are we back? Well, that's the thing. Maybe Elbow's gotten the message that we're not back and that's why he doesn't want to rock up to the party because he knows he's going to be shunned. So we sent Chris Bowen in as a decoy. I think if you want Elbow to go, you just got to make sure Paul Kelly isn't playing any gigs <laughs> in the palace. You know what I mean? Like you double Shut down him. the Enmore Theatre for a couple of weeks. When they were renegotiating the contract for Manus, for the security on Manus, I realised that Elbow followed me on Twitter and I sent him a DM saying, hey, Elbow, I'll give you my tickets to the Whitlam's of the Enmore if you don't if you don't sign a new <laughs> security contract for, sorry, for, for Nauru. Uh, if you don't sign a security contract. Isn't it crazy Nauru. though, Dan and, and Lynn, on, on this thing of Elbow not attending, like, I feel like every other developed country in the world, when even, like, King Charles is not the prime minister, but his not going caused, like, huge multi-day coverage and public outcry. And, like, 
But Albo, they're not letting him go the, anymore because he's the government, the king no, now. The government like isn't letting yeah. him go. No, totally, but, like, it, just his not going caused, like, multi-day outcry. And, like, Albo just goes, I'm not going. And because he's a progressive prime minister, it sort of seems like he just, like, escapes scrutiny and yeah. criticism. Like, how is this not a five-day story? Well, of whether if only someone was in charge of a daily news podcast. <laughs> could run it for five days in a row and make it a five-day story. Oh, I love this dynamic because... We're going to talk about Oz, this when we get I love, home. I love this dynamic because Oz started 7am and turned it into an award-winning <laughs> uh, daily national podcast and Scott's running it into the ground. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Let's not interrogate what. how I took over Osman's job and we now live together forever. <laughs> Let's get down deeper into that now. No, this is true because Scott Morrison didn't go last year and I got so annoyed I put billboards in New York City. But I'm not doing yeah, the same. Yeah, what are you doing yeah, now? What are you doing now? I'm not doing the same for Alba because I think Chris Bowen is uh, is so across his portfolio and is such an energy nerd and is so across every facet of anything to do with climate change. Is, is eons ahead of anyone like uh, Angus Taylor. It makes sense for Chris to go because he's the biggest fucking climate nerd in power right now. And I think what's exciting about that, right, is as much as I, as I just slammed the Australian government for not doing enough, this cop in many ways is like what's considered a technical cop. So the idea isn't that there's going to be a lot of big fanfare yeah. anyway. There's not going to be huge announcements from most of these other countries because they made a ton of those in Scotland last year and they haven't sort of followed through. Mm. This cop's all about what are the details? So can Chris Bowen come with the details that, you know, sometimes when you have a head of state or government, it gets lost. Because it's like every five years, right? Every five years they have a big cop and then they have like, you know, you know, a few small ones and they have another big one. Exactly, which is sort of what's exciting is if Australia does end up being successful in our bid to host a cop, we'll be hosting a quote-unquote big one. Like we'll be hosting one of the ones oh, that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah get ready, Dad, yeah. get ready. But yeah. we're going to be hosting a cop that is going to bring a whole level of scrutiny to the Australian government that I don't think we're prepared for with this sort of offer of, hey, we're interested. Bring it, bring global scrutiny. And it's scrutiny over everything. You know, right now the story in Egypt isn't just, oh, this climate thing's going to happen. Also, there's a big security crisis right now. Like, people shouldn't leave because there are human rights abuses in different parts of Egypt. Like, I don't know if the Australian government is ready to have our offshore processing mm. sort yeah, of Yeah, we're happy for the UN to scrutinize. come to host exactly. a climate meeting, but we don't want their torture inspectors to look at <laughs> our prisons. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. So you can't have it both ways. And it's not just about climate, right? I think we now really recognise with the floods that happened in Pakistan this year um, and obviously on, like, the eastern seaboard of Australia, all of these issues are intersectional. It's not just, like, us in, like, Sydney, Melbourne, et cetera, that are suffering. It's various other parts of the world too. I look forward to uh, COP in 2024 hosted by Australia and all the Pacific Island nations except for Nauru. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Big thank you to all of our guests for Irrational Fear this week. Lynn Doe, thank you. Scott Mitchell, thank you. Osman Faruqi, thank you. Lewis Hubber, thank you. Let's get our plugs underway. What would you like to plug, Lynn? Oh, wow, I forgot about this moment. Um, maybe <laughs> if Elbow's following you on Twitter as well, just maybe send him a little DM before um, your blue ticks expire, <laughs> asking him to commit some dollars to the Green Climate Fund. I can do that. Scott Mitchell, anything to plug? 7am, subscribe, best daily news podcast in Australia. And my secret to 7am is that I don't talk on it. And, and today, Dan, as an EP of this show, you've taken a very different tack. And I'm interested to see how that's worked out. Wow, wow, what shade Life getting notes. notes from Scott Mitchell. Oh, my God. Well, he really stepped on mine because I was gonna, I was gonna back seven a.m. Um, oh, get but out. We, yeah, two, two, two plugs, two plugs. Oz, you got a great podcast, The Drop. 
I do, but it's not, you know, it's not actually that great to plug your own uh, podcast, Scott, if you want to take some notes on that one. <laughs> but Dan, since you brought it up, I do have a weekly culture podcast. It's the best in the biz. The drop, follow it, yeah, like I'd, it, subscribe. Listen to a great interview with Hal from formerly of Coolism the other day. Excellent. Lewis Hobber, what do you want to plug? Uh, oh, just I'm going to replug the TV show. <laughs> well, go and watch it on iView. It's called Australia's Best Competition Competition, and it's very good. It's very good. It's very good. I think it's so good I put it in the newspaper. It's a great show. Oh, you should check it out. Oh, oh real power. Yeah, that's that's real power. Thanks, Art. Great addition to the Friday night slate as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott Mitchell hasn't asked me on 7am, obviously, to talk about it yet, but... Uh, well, no wonder ratings are tanking. Oh, surely, there's like, surely there's like some kind of Erdogan, Turkish wrestling you can kind of do a crossover there. It's not bad. It's not bad, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Big thanks to Road Mics, uh, Stupid Old Studios, Australian Ethical, our Patreon supporters, and Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki timeline. Big thank you also to the Do Go On podcast who lent their voices to the sketch at the top of the show. Another great Australian podcast there. Speaking of podcasts, until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. 